Today, I want to talk about money. I want to talk about finances. And we regularly talk about finances here at Elevate Church. And there's actually reasons why we regularly talk about finances. One of them is because we live in a culture that actually sends a consistent message that our finances are the source for our lives. Our finances are the source for joy. Our finances are the source for for, uh, contentment. Our finances are the source of provision. And we want to recalibrate and make sure, no, finances aren't the source. Finances are a resource that are provided to us by the source, God, to be used in our lives and to see his kingdom advanced. So we continually talk about that. We also teach regularly on giving because, and finances because we've seen what happens to people in their lives and their thinking when they don't handle finances according to God's principles. Greed will take over. Relational breakdown is a common occurrence when people aren't reading from the same playbook, God's word, when it comes to finances. And then people getting their priorities completely out of whack, pursuing a finish line that actually keeps moving. Just when we think we've got enough, the line moves. And we try to catch up even more and put things in front of people, put things in front of God. So today I want to talk about finances, and specifically today I want to teach about the tithe. Now, listen closely. The word tithe isn't a word you may use every day. In conversation, it might not even be a word you've heard of before. It's a, it's a Bible word. Okay, literally translates tenth. Okay, now, we here at Elevate don't call it the tithe. We call it the first 10%. Because when you say tithe, someone says, what's that? You say 10%. So we say, well, why don't you just call it 10%? You don't have to explain it every time. So we do. Not only that, we actually find people who use the word tithe. We find them an extra 10%. No, we don't. We find them a glass of wine. And uh, we, find, we find our team members for any sort of Christianese that they might use. Every time they use a Christianese word that an unchurched person wouldn't understand, it's a glass of wine. Fine. And we tell it up, and there's seven and a half glasses in a standard bottle. So when they've uh, sworn seven and a half times, then they can hand over a bottle. And uh, if you think I'm not counting, you're crazy. Don't you, Jared, you're on two glasses. Stuart, you're on one. Jess, you went to one last week, so you're on one. You've got six and a half to go. Oh, look, I can't even say it, or you might try to find me. Here's what I'm going to do, though. Because it's a, the word tithe is a Bible word, I'm going to use that word today. I'm going to use it interchangeably with first 10%. So when I say tithe, I mean first 10%. When I say first 10%, I mean tithe. So here's the thing. We're going to make it real simple. For the next 25 minutes... I'm going to declare, elevate a fine, free zone, okay? Christianese is permitted for the next 25 minutes. You can say congregation, if you want, sometime in the next 25 minutes, even though none of us know what that means. You can, you can call this building the church, even though it's not. It's a building, but you can for the next 25 minutes, and I promise you won't get fined, okay? Knock yourselves out. You can even refer to Jesus by his last name, if you want. Something you have to think about that one. I first learned about this idea of tithing, of bringing God my first 10%. I, I, I first uh, started doing that, actually doing it, not just learning about it, three years after I started following Jesus. I started following Jesus when I was 21. 
And at the age of 24, three years later, I, I started bringing my first 10%. Now, the thing is, before you start judging me, well, Mark, why did it take you three years to obey God? Here's the deal. The church I was a part of at the time, and I'm not hating on them, but they didn't actually teach about bringing your first 10%. And by the way, I don't even know why they didn't, okay? I didn't know why. I didn't know to ask because it wasn't even on the menu there to ask why you don't talk about it, even though it's written. And uh, I eventually, God led me to another church. I, I've, I've been in three churches in my entire life. So it's not like I go church hopping every couple of years out of convenience like some people. But I went to, God led me to another church when I was 24. And that church taught about bringing your first 10%. And by the way, you can stop judging me now. Because as soon as I started getting taught about it, I started doing it. Because it was a matter of obedience. But... Some churches don't teach about it. And by the way, I don't know why some churches don't teach about it. I don't know what that, why that church didn't teach about it. Maybe some church leaders are worried about making people mad. Maybe. It's a theory. And I can tell you this. I made a decision a long time ago. If I have to choose between making people mad and making God mad, I'm going to choose making people mad every single time. So I want you to open up your Bibles, open up your Bible apps, the last book of the old part of the Bible is a, a dude named Malachi. Malachi was a prophet that God spoke through to people. In chapter 3, this is what God said to the people through this dude, the prophet called Malachi. He said, God said, bring your full tithe, 10%, to the temple treasury, a.k.a. church in, in today's scenario. So there'll be ample provisions in my temple. God's saying the way I'm going to resource my kingdom on earth is not through raffle tickets and it's not through bake sales. It's through the tithe. Hmm. Okay. Really? No bake sales? No. Test me. And what about a meat platter? No, that's the footy club. Chook raffle? Uh-uh. Bingo? No. Test me in this. And see, it's the only time in the whole Bible God says, test me. In fact, there's other parts in the Bible where God says, don't test me. Good thing about being God is occasionally you can just change your mind. Don't test me. And then you read this and you test me. Well, God, you said, don't test me. Yeah, but I'm God. I change your mind. I read the next bit and I'll say, don't test me. But he tests me in this, just this. Bringing your first 10% and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Some of you have some pretty wild dreams. God goes even further. For my part, I'll defend you against marauders. I'll protect your wheat fields and your vegetable gardens against plunderers. The message of God of the angel armies. You'll be voted the happiest nation. Not the maddest nation. Told you to give. Don't get mad. Get happy. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel armies says so. Now, friends, Romans, countrymen, listen to me this morning. I want you to know my goal this morning is not to make you mad. You might still get mad. I'm just letting you know it's not my goal. My goal, if this is a new thing to you, or if this is something you've been listening, reading, and, 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 and digging your feet in and crossing your arms, or flipping God the bird, or whatever your response has been, other than what he's instructed you to do, I hope that this next 25 minutes I can do my part to help reframe your perspective in this area of the tithe. Because I don't actually, when I read the Bible, I don't see giving as God's way 
of getting something from us as if it's his gain and our loss, but actually giving is God's way of getting something to us and through us because the same open-handed posture that gives out can actually receive more. Closed-fisted living can do neither. One of the things when I was 24 and started learning about the tithe is it was quickly apparent to me that God, when he spoke through this prophet Malachi, was actually not just offering instruction, though he was, but that he was also offering an invitation. And that to me, that one-two punch, instruction and invitation, was compelling to me. And this morning, I want to underline the invitation. And hopefully, as we consider the source when it comes to our finances, that, that those of us who've been a bit reluctant, who've been a little bit closed-handed, maybe, my prayer is this, maybe this morning, hopefully from today, you'll shift from a scarcity mindset. Because a scarcity mindset says, if I give something away, I'm going to have less, and I run the risk of running out. But when we consider the source and know that the source says, hey, buddy, you give, and guess what? There's plenty more where that came from because I ain't running out. I started this thing. I'm going to finish this thing, and I'm going to provide throughout the whole story. That is an abundance mindset. So if you've been living with a scarcity mindset, I want to do a checkup. So Dr. Mark is in the house. And we're going to do a little checkup. I'm going to run three diagnostic tests. And you've got to answer these for yourself. Okay? When, when, when me or one of our leaders or you're reading the Bible for yourself and you read about this idea of bringing God the first and the best of everything, by the way, including your finances, I want to run three diagnostic tests. And I want you to ask yourself, what's your reaction to these three tests when you have or do hear about the idea of bringing God your first and your best? Test number one, do you consider yourself entrusted or entitled? Now, three weeks ago, Reese McLaughlin over here, bass player extraordinaire, a little, if you little bit riffing this morning too, by the way, I didn't miss that, it was good, nice, not bad for a white boy. He messaged me and said, hey, Mark, I want to get to know Jesus more. Now, it's sort of a cliche thing, I want to get to know Jesus more, but he's actually like who he is and, and more, you know, about, do you have anything? Yes, I've got a book, I'll bring it to him. The next day, I lent him a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. Good, good title for a book if you want to know more about Jesus. So lent him that book. How are you going with the book, Reese? Chipping away, that's good enough. What? Page 90, how many pages in the book? Well, come on, man. Uh, I've lent... Reese, the book, The Jesus I Never Knew, right? At some time in the near future, Reese will give the book back to me, right? But see, here's the catch. He won't give the book back to me. He will bring the book back to me because it's not his to give. It's mine. He's not entitled to it. He is entrusted with it. If there's a flipping dog ear in that thing, I hate dog ears in. Anyway. And that's what I've been talking already for the five, these five. 
bringing our first 10% isn't the same as giving our first 10% because the difference is we're not entitled to the resources God provides us with. We're entrusted with the resources God provides. I got to tell you this, confession time. One of the traits I hate the most in people is an entitlement mentality. And unfortunately, in 2015, in Western society, including Australia, it's becoming a flipping pandemic. People walking around, and I'm not just talking about your kids either, by the way. I'm talking about you, adults, entitlement mentality. Louis, uh, Tuesday night, came home from work. Hey, just uh, don't, don't think you know where this story's going. I threw her under the bus last week. I'm not, I like to live on the edge, but I'm not that stupid. Two weeks in a row, picking on my wife. All right. So Louie walks in the house after work, came home, a uh, bottle of wine under her arm. I'm like, that's nice. Yeah, cool. Great. She says, look, look what I got, bottle of wine. I thought she'd bought it, which is kind of weird. Louie doesn't drink wine during the week, but she's rocking this bottle of wine. Oh, good, whatever. Uh, must have been a hard day at work. And uh, there was only one straw as well. Two straws, woman. Um, and she said, look, 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 uh, one of the deans, she works at a, at a high school, and she said, one of the deans of one of the year groups uh, bought me this bottle of wine, gave, came today and gave me this bottle of wine. Oh, that's nice. That's right. why, why, why was that? Well, last Friday, uh, he had uh, a, a deadline that he was trying to meet, and uh, I offered to stay back and help him uh, you know, get this deadline through. And uh, Tuesday, he came to work to give me a, a bottle of wine to say thanks, how he really appreciated uh, that I helped him out. It's pretty cool, huh? You think Louis is going to be incentivized to help him out more in the future? Yeah. I'll go and help him out. I mean, <laughs> but Louis made an interesting, well, no, didn't make a comment in that instance, but I know Louis has trudged through our front door many previous occasions with war stories about various other staff members of the school who have harumphed and stomped their feet and you know, when Louis has helped them, not so much as said, thank you. As if they're somehow entitled. People that are entitled don't say thank you very much. People that are entitled don't show up early and don't stay late. People that are entitled don't do more than the bare minimum and sometimes don't even do the bare minimum. We're not here to live as people who are entitled. We're here to live as people who are entrusted by the source with everything that we have. Let's say, this is Tom. Welcome back, visiting. Front row, good to see. Still got to be early to get a seat in the back row at Elevate. Um, we're trying to change that culture too, by the way, Tom. So way to leave, by example, as a visitor. Um, it's, mis- it's a mystery to me. I don't know. You wouldn't go to the back row at a, you know... One Direction concert, Stewie, would you? You'd be right down the front in the, mo- in the smosh pit. Um, so, okay, Tom, guest appearance. Let's talk about you. Tom, let's say Tom was uh, heading overseas for a year. Uh, secondment, business kind of deal, heading overseas for a year. But he still had some interests here. He had a, a car, had, had a house. Uh, bank accounts, some insurance things, wanted to keep them going because he knows he's going to come back. 
one option that Tom has is rather than close everything down for the year and then go away and then when you come back, you have to kind of start everything up again, you know, sell the house, sell the car, come back to start over. He can actually um, nominate somebody through, through legal processes. He can nominate somebody and give them what's called power of attorney. Now, let's say he gave that to me. He, going away for a year, Mark, would, would you mind if I set you up as with the, with the power of attorney? Now, the power of attorney means that for that year, while, while Tom's away, I act on his behalf. In fact, I act on his behalf. I don't even have to consult him for that year, right? He'll hand over his checkbooks, and I can sign them with my signature. He'll hand over his bank account, uh, pin number, um, keys to his car, uh, identi- you know, his identity documents, driver's license, and, and hands that all over to me, gives me the power of eternity. Legally, I can act as if I'm Tom. The catch is that the expectation that when you sign over power of eternity to, to, eternity to somebody, it's the person who has been given the power of eternity their responsibility is to act in your best interest. So for the year that Tom's away, it's my responsibility, having been given power of eternity over Tom's affairs, including his finances, to act in his best interest for that year. So Tom goes away. I drive him to the airport. See you, mate. All the best. Keep in touch on Facebook. See you when you get back. Don't worry. I'm, I've got it all covered while you're away. You don't have to worry. I've got it sorted. So Tom goes away. First insurance bill comes in. Write out the check or transfer the money via the bank deposit. Good on you. Uh, driver's license renewal comes in. Go on. B-pay. Good. That one's gone. Uh, uh, something breaks in, uh, in Tom's uh, house. He's, now he's rented it for the year. Property manager contacts me. Needs to be fixed. You happy to authorize that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Authorize that. I'll wire the money across. No problem. About three months in, my air conditioner at my house breaks. And I'm thinking, I don't have... I don't have the money to fix my air conditioner. I know what I'll do. I'll use Tom's money. So, you know, log on to Tom's internet banking, pay the air conditioning guy. Two months later, my Vespa breaks down, which, by the way, will never happen. But just this is hypothetical. Hypothetical. My Vespa breaks down. Oh, God. I'm a bit skinned. I know what I'll do. Pay for it with Tom's bank account. Do you think at this point in time, I'm acting as someone who is entrusted or entitled? And I know that you know that I would never do that. And I know that you would never do that. But here's the thing. God has actually set us up with his power of eternity over finances. And the thing that we sometimes fail to remember is that they belong to him. And he has entrusted us with the power of eternity to act in his interests while we're here and he's there. Are we entrusted or entitled? Because you know what? If we realize that we're entrusted, that if it's not ours and God just asks us to act on his behalf, then bringing what belongs to him and not us in the first place shouldn't be such a big deal. Okay, diagnostic test number two. 
do you consider giving a question of relationship or reluctance? Now, Louie and I have been married for 17 years and change. And uh, recently, this is a long story. I haven't got time to go into it today. I'll save it for another message another time. But recently, Louie got a wedding ring. Not a second wedding ring. Her first wedding ring. Long story. Don't press me for details. Uh, none of your business. Um, but late last year, having waited patiently for nearly 17 years, Louie got her very first wedding ring. And I guess in a sense, I paid for that. But I didn't mind. I'm like, stupid bloody wives. Why so expensive? You buy them flipping wedding rings. Gee. Mm. Could put some new mags on my Vespa for that, but one of the chromes ones that spin when I get it up to 45 kilometers an hour. I didn't think that. I didn't think that about Louis' wedding ring because of this. Love gives. When we're in love with someone, when we have a love-based relationship with someone, we don't give ever out of reluctance. We give because we have a relationship. Love gives. It's just normal. It's natural. You know, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, most often quoted verse in the Bible, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not uh, part of a church yet, this might be a new one to you, but some of you, you've heard this on Endless Loop for years. For God so loved the world that he prayed for it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Love gives. And then, by the way, we're coming up to Easter very shortly. We're going to actually celebrate the fact that God's only son died. What? Celebrate that someone died? Look, I know a few people in my world, I'll be celebrating when they're dead. But Jesus wasn't one of them. But here's the thing. Not only, did he not, he, not only was he not reluctant to give his life for you and I, you know, it's said of him that he considered it joy to die for us. Because why love gives relationship. And this is my word to you. And I said I wasn't going to, it wasn't my goal to make you mad, but I didn't promise you wouldn't get mad. So that's your choice. But if reluctance is your response when people talk about giving, I want to put it to you that I don't think you understand the gospel. It's not a judgment, but we understand love gives. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a not yet message for you today. So, you know, should you have turned up next week instead of this week? Well, I don't think so. You get to hear what's important. Important is putting God first and honoring him. I mean, it's a great message right across the board, but it's a not yet message for you, and that's cool. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a right now message. Don't, un, don't, don't even for a second misunderstand me that this is a not yet message for you, because it ain't. And here's my third and final diagnostic based on that thought. When you hear about giving, do you consider it a question of being obedient or optional? See, I don't want you to go away from here this morning and pray about this. 
my clear advice to you is don't pray about stuff that God's asked you to do. To quote the prophet Nike, just do it. You know, dad's going to be taking out the laundry to hang it on the hill's hoist and says to Junior, hey, Junior, come and help dad hang out the laundry. And Junior says, yeah, mm, dad, you know what? Let me just pray about that. Well, if you're an Italian dad, you said to Junior, buddy, you better pray that you're going to wake up in the morning if you don't come and help me do, hang the laundry out right now. That's what you could pray about. I ain't asking you whether you want to. I ain't, I, I, you don't get a vote in this, pal. But I said right at the front that, that one of the things that, you know, I really see this as clear instruction from God. Clear instruction. There's no blurred lines here. Going to bring my first 3%, the tithe. <laughs> no, it means 10th. If God wanted three, he would have said three. Bring the 3%. Weird, but anyway. One of the things that really got me over the line straight away is, is it's both an instruction, and I said earlier, an invitation. And I want to just spend the last few minutes we've got together this morning to underline the invitation. But remember, it's both. Okay? I could just put out, it's all an invitation, and we think, oh, good, that's great, it's all about me. No, it's all about God and His kingdom. The great thing about the source is He also extends an invitation. This is not just about hard graft for you and I. So I want to let you know, I'm going to dive back into what God said through Malachi, but if you're not bringing God the first of what you have, it's costing you. Let me show what you're missing out on. God said, test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Full stop. Also, as if that's not enough, living life with an open heaven over your life, if, this, if that's not enough, wait, there's more. I love it. God, always more. And I'll defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. Here's the deal. Disobedience comes with a price. Obedience comes with a promise. And this promise is actually two parts. God promises that if we will bring the first 10%, if we will place him first, if we'll honor him, if we'll bring him what's already his, acknowledge that it's his, acknowledge that he's the source, be entrusted, not entitled, give out of relationship, not reluctance, give out of uh, obedience, yes, but also this idea that it's an invitation. God says he'll do two things. He'll actually play offense for us. You know, you, you, you follow sports. Good sporting teams play great offense and great defense. You need both. We need both. God says he'll do it with us. He'll go on the offense. Open up heaven itself 
to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. God, I'm afraid I won't have enough. Good, give, because guess what? Then I'll open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. So God, you mean we should just give so we can get? No, we give because love gives, right? And that's our first motive. However, God in his goodness, because he's the source, because he loves us, He says, I'll honor those who honor me. It's in every aspect of our life, by the way. If you're short on time, serve. Huh? Serve. Because God honors those who honor him. Haven't got time to serve. You haven't got time not to. Haven't got the money to give. You can't afford not to. If you don't give, you're missing out on this. It's costing you. Not only is he going to play good offense, he's going to play great defense. Boy, I tell you what, uh, just when I'm trying to get ahead, get out of debt, something breaks. Yeah? Give. I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. God promises he will defend you against marauders. Protect your air conditioning from blowing out in the middle of summer. Stop you losing. It doesn't mean nothing will go bad, but it means you don't think of yourself as the source. That we involve God who is the source. And trust him for the resources that come from the source. Are you following this? Good on you, Ricky. Honoring his, okay. It's funny, being a preacher, it's a freaking risky business. Because, you know, I get one 30-minute swing of the bat every week. And I can't say everything in 30 minutes. And some of you while you do listen to what I say, might think, yeah, but he didn't say that as well. Mark said that, that I can go, he, said, he put up this verse, Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, and he said, he said, I can go crazy spending more than I earn, rack up bazillions of dollars in credit card debt, and God promises that he's going to reach into Visa and MasterCard's computer system and wipe the balances out for me. Mark said that. No, Mark did not say that. Please, we got two bank managers sitting here. They'll tell you it's a little bit harder even for God to reach down and wipe out your, be- your credit card balance, right? Because honoring God with our finances isn't just about giving. It also is about how we spend. Don't spend more than you make. What? How we save. Set the next generation up for a win. And, of course, <clears throat> how we give. If, I'm just giving you this as a little insertion, if you're someone who is struggling with managing your finances, you're in debt, I want to point you to this guy. Many of us, ourselves included, have been taking his lead for getting out of debt, getting into financial freedom. DaveRamsey.com, plenty of stuff there. I'm not on commission. I'm not selling. I'm just not giving you good financial advice, but check that out. It's real, real simple stuff. Some of you know about that, but here's, I just wanted to throw this as a bit of bonus content this morning. Him, Dave, and his daughter uh, late last year released this book, Smart Money, Smart Kids. Here's a question. Like me, how many of you grew up not, and, and, and I'm not asking you to throw your parents under the bus, but just you, you grew up in a house where you, you weren't taught how to handle finances. Is anyone like me? I never got, you weren't allowed to talk about it. Like it was like off, it was on the ban list. Politics, religion, and money. Okay, so I love my parents and, and whatever, but, but I have had to spend my adult life catching up because they didn't teach me about finances. This is designed for you as parents to give your kids a head start understanding finances and not just what, you know, 
giving your first 10%. It's about the, the management, the spending, the saving. So I recommend this resource highly. It is going crazy. Number one, New York Times bestseller, etc. Here's a couple of little snippets of uh, what's in there. Let's throw them up. Get these. These are just a few. Teaching a child to work is not child abuse. It's teaching them that's how life works. You're going to leave this house one day, whether you bloody like it or not, and you're going to work. So let's teach you now. Raise your kids to be blessed, not spoiled. That's pretty good. Like that. Raise children who not only get money, but get great joy from giving it. And there's plenty more in the book where that came from. Let me land this message. Almost thought we were going to finish on time for two weeks in a row. It's only when you do something three times in a row that you prove it wasn't a fluke. So last week was obviously a fluke. This is you. Every week you go to work and you come home from work at the end of the week and your boss has given you 10 pomegranates. It's your wage. It's your salary. Well done. Here's 10 pomegranates. So, you now have 10 pomegranates that used to be in your boss's bank account. And they're now sitting in your world. And this is, this is, let's see if this is familiar to anybody here. You look at your 10 pomegranates. Yep, all there. And here's what, mm, boy, better use this wisely. There's only 10. All right. These four, mortgage or rent. Good. All right. We need to pay that. Not a big fan of camping like Elliot. These two are bills. Mm-hmm. Stupid electricity came in again. Make it three. Bills. Uh, these two are school fees, you know. Don't want the kids to grow up stupid. School fees. And this one, frivolous entertainment. All right. Good. Done. Ah, oh, bugger me. God. Again, I'm really sorry. You know how it is. It's not an uncommon scenario among people who say they follow Jesus and understand the gospel. God, I'll honor you if I've got some left. Well, I said it's costing you, and I said that part of this idea of giving, bringing, honoring God is that it comes with an invitation. The invitation really hangs around the idea of multiplication. Now, next month, 26th, we're going to be actually launching a teaching series on the idea of God multiplying what he entrusts us with, not just survival, but multiplying. So be here for that. But I'll just give you a little preview because the problem when we consume everything that God entrusts to us is that there's nothing left for him to multiply. This is all gone. Synergy and it's all gone. God multiply, you know, uh, he, he could multiply by infinity. He's good like that. But infinity times zero is zero. Like, you know, math scholars, you already know that. He doesn't want all the pomegranates. That's pretty cool. He just wants one. 
He wants the first one and the best one. And I went to my local Wogs uh, fruit and veg shop this week, Domenico's. And uh, this was the best one. Have a look at this pomegranate. How many of you like pomegranates? How many of you have never even eaten a pomegranate? Oh my God, you call yourselves humans. It's ridiculous. All right, well, look, you can have one of my nine. This one, unfortunately, you can't because it's the first and the best, and I'm going to give that to God. Here's what happens. If we don't give anything to God, there's nothing for him to multiply, right? However, if we honor him, he, I have a history of carrying knives up here. He actually promises to multiply things, right? Because God doesn't just look at the pomegranate like you and I look at the pomegranate. God understands the potential locked up inside the pomegranate. And he doesn't just want to use it for your sake. Although before I move on from that, he does want to use it for your sake. Let's go back, Pete, to that uh, verse 11. This is one of the greatest invitations. See if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. That kind of thinking has been given a bad rap around some churches. There's a dude just this week asking his church to give $65 million so he can get a brand new plane. Well, I'm not judging the guy. You know, I drive a $4,000 Vespa, so, you know, maybe next year we'll start a rally campaign and see if I can upgrade to a $6,000 one. But, um, but here's the thing. The multiplication, this promise, open up heaven and self. It is aimed at us. God does want us to prosper. Prosperity is a Bible word. Materialism isn't, but prosperity is. He wants us to prosper in our health, in our relationships, in our, in our workplace, in our business, and, yeah, in our finances. Because of the other side of the same coin, that what we give to God, He doesn't just want to multiply in our world so we can walk around with a bigger bank account or a bigger Vespa. He wants to multiply it through the world. Right now, we've got a team of three people, a.k.a. the Incredibles, who are in the Philippines. And uh, Louis said, get on Facebook, get on Elevate's Facebook page. We're going to be posting some of their day-by-day, play-by-play accounts of what's happening over there. Jordan Everson posted up a photo yesterday of, of the, all of the, the kids in this particular region sitting uh, that are part of the, the Compassion Child Sponsorship Program, kids aged 3 to 18. Jordan's comment on Facebook was, man, there's way more kids than I expected to see here. Why? Because people weren't eating all of their pomegranates. They were giving some of it back to God. God put it in, in the hands of compassion. Compassion used it to sponsor kids in the school age. And Jordan Everson gets to go there and say, Flipper and heck, there's more kids here. Seems that because everyone didn't consume all their pomegranates, God opened up heaven itself and poured out blessings beyond my wildest dreams. Let me ask you one more question. 
Uh, so that's it. That's the end of the message. And don't pray about it. Just do it. Um, okay, so here's a question. Very simple. If you've never actually yourself personally made a decision to follow Jesus, mentioned before, this is with a not yet message, but here, in this moment, this is for you. It's the opportunity to say yes to following Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, right here, right now, in a moment, I just want you to put your hand up. By putting your hand up, you're saying, God, yeah, that's me. I want to actually put my trust in you. I want to follow you today. This is a right now moment for you. So for those of you that have never yet made the decision to follow Jesus, just slip your hand up. You're saying, God, that's me.